Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before he fought mummies with Tom Cruise, ran from dinosaurs with Chris Pratt, and became an actual Spider-Man, today's guest was just good old Nick Miller on New Girl. I need you to pull it together and just say something simple. Schmidt's asleep. Schmidt is asleep. Schmidt's asleep. What, what rhythm? normal human rhythm. Okay, Schmidt is asleep. Schmidt is asleep. Nick. Did I say it or no? You I said it, yeah, but it, wasn't but it right. sounded very weird. But it wasn't right. Just say it like all one, yeah. in all one. Schmidt is asleep. You could just Got say it. Schmidt's asleep. Schmidt's asleep. Got it. No, you're putting weird emphasis on weird syllables. You do it. Schmidt's asleep. Hey, Sissy, Schmidt's sleeping, sleep. I'm so nervous. I'm going to screw this up. You're always so ready to believe the worst in yourself. And right now, I need you to believe the best, okay? I just need you to tell one lie. Okay. I believe in you. Here comes Schmidt! What? This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Jake Johnson in the role that jump-started what has become a remarkable career as a movie star, something he tells me in this episode he never really set out to be. Now, after appearing in huge movies like The Mummy, Jurassic World, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Jake has scaled things way back for his new indie film Ride the Eagle, which hit theaters on demand and digital last month. When the pandemic hit last spring, Jake thought his acting career might be over for good. So, kind of as an experiment, he and New Girl director Trent O'Donnell set out to see if they could make a movie in which the actors were almost entirely isolated from each other. While Ride the Eagle features some great performances from Susan Sarandon, J.K. Simmons, and Darcy Carden, Jake's main scene partner throughout the film is his dog. He enjoyed the experience so much, he says he may never go back to those blockbuster action movies that made him super famous. We'll see about that. All right, let's get to it. Here's me with Jake Johnson. I had just had this very surreal experience. I was rewatching your appearance on Jimmy Kimmel, which was uh, March 11th, 2020, which is kind of like the day that that everything changed. Um, so it was really funny watching that. You're joking about bumping elbows and you're kind of saying you're not not too scared about this whole Corona thing. Um, so uh, just to start, I'd love you to take me back to that day because uh, it seems like it must have been a very strange experience for you as well going on that show that day. Well, it was really spooky because I just kind of figured I had been reading a lot about COVID in China. And I had been doing a show called Stumptown and Kobe Smulders and I were really kind of hip to it early on. But I really believed our government was going to kind of handle it and it wasn't going to be a big yeah. deal here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I that just, was the general the general hope. Like I thought it, w- it would come and there would be like, you know, talks of it and there'd be little pockets. But then I thought we would handle it pretty smoothly in our country. So when they asked, did I want to cancel doing Kimmel? I was like, no. <laughs> Why would I cancel? 
And then when I got there, I remember one of the security guards was like, oh, he went to, we went to shake hands and he's like, oh, I guess we can't do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it was, I think it was driving home from that gig that I heard the NBA season was canceled. Yeah. And then very quickly, I thought like, well, that interview will not age well because I was wildly wrong. <laughs> Cut to, you know, 18 months of just madness. Yeah. And we're still on Zoom. And we're still on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it seems like, you know, watching this new movie, Ride the Eagle, I, as far as I could tell, it seemed like it was the kind of movie that was conceived, written, shot, everything during this time period um, and is really designed to be made in that way. So is that part of the the origin of it that you were trying to figure out what to do? <laughs> That's the entire origin. We had, you know, I was on a show called Stumptown that got picked up. We were planning on shooting. Then it got canceled because of COVID. I was talking to different executives and agents about Hollywood and what was going to happen. And, and the answer I kept getting back was nobody knew what was going to occur or when or how we were ever going to go back to work. And I thought, wow, if the business really changes and we go into a new like short form way of doing entertainment, like the way we're doing this on our phones and everything is isolated. An executive was telling me that we might have everybody just with skeleton crews doing singles and that they could, you know, find the connection and chemistry and post. That doesn't sound very fun. It would not only that, that's just not <laughs> what I signed up for. Yeah. So what I like about acting is connecting with people and doing it as like a collaborative art form. And so I just thought, well, I got to see if there's a way that I'm going to survive. Because I had told my wife, I'm like, I think there's a chance this weird uh, ride we've been on is going to end. And so Trent O'Donnell, who I'd worked on for you know years of New Girl, he was a producing director, did over, I think, 70 episodes. T and I just started talking and we said, let's pay for it ourselves. Let's write something that we know we can do, we can produce and we can make. And let's see if there's a way to make a movie in this wild era that still gives us the joy of storytelling. So we wrote something with the idea of being able to control the virus while, you know, shooting with a bunch of different actors. Yeah. I mean, and it, you really are sort of, you know, it is isolated in a way you're acting by yourself in a lot of the scenes. There's a lot of scenes on the phone uh, with Darcy totally. Carton, who's really great in the movie as She's well. So and then, good. Of course you came up with a device to have uh, Susan Sarandon kind of do her scenes on her own as well. So how did that, I mean, you said it's sort of like not what you signed up for, but how did it go for you to to do that and to do so much acting really by yourself? You know, it's it, it ended up being a great experience and I really loved doing it. And mostly it's because of Trent. I just really love working with Trent. So he, in a lot of the ways, became my scene partner. So like when I'm doing all the stuff with Darcy over the phone, like there's a phone sex sequence and all that stuff. Well, I didn't have reception up at the cabin. <laughs> so I was reading all my lines with Trent. But because we've worked together so much, we know each other and we're actual friends. It was I was able to remember the tone of hearing Darcy's coverage because we could kind of play that game together. So there, it was for me very clearly. It's not my ideal way to act. I'd much rather be sitting on a couch with Darcy than acting with Trent. I'd rather not have my scene partner be a dog. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it was such a joy to get back into acting again. And it really did remind me how much I love this business. I'd kind of been taking it for granted. It was just so fun to be with a group of people where we all woke up in the morning and nobody talked politics or COVID or how mad they are about something they saw in the news. We talked about making like a goofy little movie. And I thought like, man, it's so fun to talk about movies. <laughs> 
And it really does strip it down to sort of like the bare essentials. I mean, I know you had like no crew basically, and you're just doing it on your own. So did it feel like in the same way that you've been kind of making bigger and bigger movies over the course of your career? So was there something refreshing in that too, of kind of going back to, to basics? Yeah. So it was, it was split. So it was really nice to go back to basics, to remember what this thing is. I will say every once in a while you forget because you get into contracts and you get into what the whole project is and what it could be and what it could do. And what was really nice about Ride the Eagle is we thought at any moment, if you know, if a, like if you're talking about the sound for today, if it doesn't work, if we had a glitch like that, we lost a day, we could never make it up. The movie's over. <laughs> you know, call Susan Sarandon and apologize. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> forget it. Like we just, it's getting too much. We paid for the movie, so we couldn't afford to keep doing it. Um, and there was something really just great and kind of pure about that side of it. But what it also showed me is how much I like heaven department. So like the clothes that, that my character wears, I bought all of them on Etsy <laughs> and the pants were not supposed to be those pants. So a lot of the jokes we made on set was my characters wearing like women, uh, like female bell bottoms from the seventies <laughs> because on Etsy, they looked different, yeah, they looked but, they, they, but like, there's no change. Like once you're in it, you're just working with what you have. But I really did miss having like department heads who are so talented in doing everything. But we we scraped by on this one. But it, I didn't know. Takeaway was not those departments aren't needed. The takeaway is, God, are they the best? Yeah. Um, it did remind me in some ways of the work that you've done with Joe Swanberg, which I just absolutely totally. love. Um, and Thanks, those are man. also, you know, very you know, smaller indie movies that don't have huge budgets and you're kind of figuring out things on the fly. What did you learn? What did, what did you learn working with him that you applied to, to this experience? A lot. So Joe was, I mean, mind you, compared to this budget, uh, the Swanberg movies we made are big budgets. So this yeah. <laughs> was like a, a fourth of the size of a Swanberg movie. Yeah. That's, say, um, that's saying something. That's saying something is right. But um, I learned a lot. I actually called Joe quite a bit throughout the process and would ask him questions and talk to him. He's uh, uh, still a very good friend and you know a mentor in terms of indie filmmaking. He's got a really wild style where he doesn't see any limitations to making movies, and he doesn't see he doesn't see scope in a way that um, I'm forced to see in my industry. He just like he would be really happy shooting a scene with no script of two people sitting on a couch. And he films the whole thing. We don't need lighting. And he believes he can make that work. And there's something really inspiring about that. So we took a lot of that heart into this movie. Um, but I personally, I really like story and I like uh, scripts. So like this one was not an improvised movie. Uh, if we try to make it feel improvised, but everything was pretty written out. And Joe will go way more into the improvised uh, version. Yeah, I wondered about that with some of those phone scenes with uh, with Darcy Carden, because also because she's such a great uh, improviser. But that was yeah, all. Uh, we just, but... I, I think honestly, if we were not in the pandemic, I would have loved to do, and I hope to make a movie with her where we get to be in the same room. But we've ne- we've never been in the same space. We did all of our rehearsals via <laughs> Zoom, so all that chemistry is kind of faked because we actually couldn't do it in real time. But she's a killer. She was so good in it. We actually made her a producer because she just brought so much to that part. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of fell for her in this. Hello? Hey, is uh, is that Audrey? Yeah, who's this? Hey, Audrey, it's Leaf. Um, hold, hold on a sec. Hi, I'm sorry, who did you say this was? Oh, yeah, it's Leaf. 
Leaf. Is that, yeah, um, sorry, is that a name or a word? Do you not remember? Audrey, it's Leaf Reinhold. We, we dated for about three years. Right, of course. And when was that? How many people have you dated named Leaf? Shoot, you know what, I, here's what we should do. Why don't you give me your phone number? I'll write it down and then if I can remember who you are, I'll just give you a call back. Uh, yeah, fine. Um, it's three two three four four. You started giving me Good. your number nice. because well, well you done. thought I you couldn't remember asshole. you. Well done. You're so dumb, Leaf. <laughs> oh, buddy. So you know, you mentioned Trent O'Donnell, who was your collaborator on this. Also worked a lot on New Girl. I'm wondering, you know, he, you said he, he directed so many episodes of that show. Is there a uh, is there an episode or a, or a story about working with him on New Girl that kind of stands out um, to you and kind of helped forge this, you know, relationship that's that's continued? You know, honestly, he was there for so much, so it was kind of all of it. What Trent would do on uh, on that show is he he's kind of like the uncle in the family who keeps everybody in a good mood. So like if you're at like a Thanksgiving dinner and then there's like the really fun uncle or aunt that like keeps everybody happy, that was kind of Trent's vibe. When he was directing, he understood how to do good coverage. He kept everybody light. He kept everybody joking. And so in terms of doing this project, you know, I just, I really wanted to hang out with Trent. I really respect him as a talent and I really like him as a person. And that was my big takeaway from Nugro. We just, we always had fun together. Neither of us are sensitive with the other. So we can talk. We didn't have time to like figure it out while shooting this. So if something's not working, one of us has to say right away, we can't waste our time. We only have 10 hours of light. We can't try to figure this out for an hour and a half. This moment's a bust. Move on. So that show, New Girl, I think is the first time that I was really became aware of you. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of uh, you know people um, that that was that was sort of your first big thing. Where were you in your in your career as an actor when you when you landed that that show? I had done, you know, I'd been starting to do some indie movies. Uh, I did a movie called Paper Heart, a movie called Ceremony. Uh, then I did like bits and like uh, Get Him to the Greek, little stuff like that. And then I had met Liz Merriweather through Max Winkler. And she, I auditioned for her movie, No Strings Attached. So I did a movie like that, but I was like Ashton Kutcher's buddy in it. So, you know, I was working, but nothing I could really sink my teeth to in, in, into too much. And then, you know, Liz Merriweather texted me one day and said, uh, Fox just picked up my pilot. Would you be willing to audition for it? And I said, you know, I was definitely an auditioning actor. So I said, yes. And the kind of rest is history. They picked it up before the pilot was uh, shot or how did that work? We shot the pilot and waited like everybody else. And then I was shooting Safety Not Guaranteed up in Seattle. I saw the deadline announcement like everybody else did. I, I checked deadline and it said, New Girl has been picked up for 13 episodes. And I thought like, Oh, whoa, shit, I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was with my wife and we like went out to dinner and we were both kind of like, wow, this just happened. Yeah. Obviously, and then 150 yeah. episodes later, it kept happening. Yeah, I was going to say it lasted a lot more than 13. So what were your sort of expectations for the show when it started versus what it turned into? You know, honestly, I didn't have any expectations. Um, I viewed it as, I thought it was going to be, if anything, like Jake Kasdan, who did the pilot, uh, he did a great indie movie called The TV Set, and it was about a kind of a hipsterish TV show that the network destroys, and uh, the art of it is lost, and how hard it is to get a show. So I thought our show, especially with Zoe Dashnell as the lead, me, Max, and Lamorne were all no names, 
or Lamar and Max and I were all, I was like, this show's not going to work. You know, like <laughs> I think I thought it was going to be really good. We had like unbelievable directors to start. We had like Peyton Reed. We had Lynn Shelton. I was like, man, we got some killers here. Like these are really good directors. And so I thought in Liz Merriweather, who's such a good writer, I thought it was going to be that show that was like too hip for network that never found an audience that did 13 that people talked about like, man, why didn't that ever work? And then early on, I saw the way uh, Schmidt Max was doing Schmidt, and it seemed so much more broad than what I thought the show was. And he and I had like a comedic battle where we both were telling the other one we were on the wrong shows. And he kept <laughs> telling me the show is not like some little indie movie I'm doing. And I was like, I think it's closer to this than you in like a bird outfit. And he was right. I was wrong. <laughs> we did seven years of it. And then we kind of leaned into that and had a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I guess it did get more broad, but I think the the fact that you were that you were sort of doing your thing and he was doing his thing in the same show maybe contributed to the success of it because it appealed to sort of both audiences. Someone who likes the sort of because I mean, you do a lot of pretty subtle, you know, stuff on that show as well. Yeah, I was trying. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but I don't mean that as a bad thing. It was you know we were all trying to do what I give a credit to Liz Merriweather and uh, Brett Baird, Dave Finkel, our showrunners. They were open for everybody to try to do their own thing. It wasn't, there was no feeling there like we were being forced to do something. If I wanted to improvise a take and do something, it was always met with like, sure. And when they were, when Liz edited that show and our editors edited, they didn't say, we're doing this thing we imagined. They put together the best episode that they saw fit. So that means there was a weird improv that Lamorne did that we all thought might've been weird in the moment. Well, that's what got in. So we all knew whatever is the winner is going to get in. So we all were constantly trying to do, you know, it's why I think that show you'll always see in all those actors, there'll be a connection to those characters and all the parts we ever play. Cause Max brought a lot to his sense of comedy to Schmidt. Lamorne's character, Winston season one is not really funny. Like he's just kind of there. And then but he kind of Lamorne like, yeah, is, he, he slowly becomes like the funniest part of the show as the, as because it goes Lamorne on. is really funny. So it took him years to like get that, his voice in the show. So Nick ended up becoming a variation of what I find funny. So every is always the same way. So we all, you know, tried hard. Yeah, totally. Um, and the, and it does get very weird at times too for a network show. You know, I'm thinking about when I think back to that show, the the scenes with you and the uh, the older Korean man sure. that you befriend, totally, um, totally, are, are, are <laughs> some of the funniest stuff and and sort of unexpected in a way for for this show. You're always there when I need you, Tran. Thank you. I'm glad you got no life. <laughs> I'm joking. Would you settle down? My father just died. I don't know, life's short, huh? It just kind of... I gotta start doing things, Tran. Making moves, grown-up moves. I don't know, I want things. I want to, like, mow a lawn. You know, my lawn and dark socks. What's my move with Jess? What would you do? Of course you would, you dirty dog. So the trans stuff was actually part of the inspiration for starting this movie with Trent and knowing that Trent being a new girl, because the original idea of this movie was Trent and I were just talking about how much we wanted to make a movie. And he told me he had access to camera equipment that he could get for very cheap. And Nora, the dog in the movie, I just uh, got her from Guide Dogs of America. She's a retired guide dog. So she's highly trained, but 
she's now just in our family. So she's done working, but she, her brain has this like motor where she wants to like keep pleasing. So I told Trent, I think we can make a movie with me and this dog. And I think this dog could be a good actor. And we talked about how it's kind of like me and Tran, where the dog <laughs> doesn't have to talk back, but we could do like the beauty of those scenes with Ralph Hahn, the guy who plays Tran, even though he doesn't talk, he's acting his ass off. Yeah. And it's, it's not really me funny. talking yeah. to nothing. He's like, he's right there with me. So when those scenes were improvising, well, he's actually reacting and giving me a lot. <laughs> he's just not talking. So we thought I could probably do that with the dog and we could get something. And that was the beginning of Trent saying, he's like, I'll make a movie about you and a dog. And I'm like, I would do. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd make a movie if you directed it. Let's go. And so we started building it that way. Yeah. Um, in terms of building a career, did you ever feel, because I think that these shows, these long running shows can be kind of a double-edged sword. They make you more famous. They they open you up to this wider audience, but you're also kind of contractually in them for so long if they continue to succeed. Was that a, a challenge for you as the show went on at all? No. Um, I think uh, in terms of the contract, you know, I didn't start making money as an actor until I was probably 28 years old. So I am one of those actors who's had every day job imaginable from waitering to working on boats to construction to working at a casino. You name it, I kind of did it. So when they're willing to pay me to try to act, I don't know how long this game is going to work. There is going to be a day where people stop calling me and I'm unable to get jobs. So the fact that I was able to go work with super funny actors with good scripts you know, I, there were times I was mad because I wanted the material to be one thing or the other, but I was never mad about having the job. To this day, when, as soon as I get a job and I know I'm working, I still have that sense that I'm a check to check about to be broke. So it always feels like a thousand pounds get lifted off my shoulder and I get to like go to work. Coming up, Jake explains how a little movie called Safety Not Guaranteed totally changed the trajectory of his career and gives us a small peek into the future of his Peter B. Parker character from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be able to hear so many other great conversations with comedians turned movie stars like Mindy Kaling, Patton Oswalt, Tig Notaro, and more. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. 
And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Jake Johnson. It's interesting that you mentioned Safety Not Guaranteed kind of came at the same time as New Girl because that was sort of the parallel turning point in your career in a way that you probably didn't know it was going to be at the time because working with uh, Colin Trevorrow, who ended up kind of blowing up in, in his own way, and you've continued to work with him. What was what was the experience like working with him on on that movie? It was great. I've, I've known Colin for years. We used to do... Uh, I was in his uh, early YouTube videos. So when, you know, everybody like starts their career, directors and actors, you have to like form a team. So they're like, when nobody is willing to hire you or work for free, you get like your team. And I was part of Colin's team. We were on each other's kind of group. So we did like a, you know, a comedy short together with another friend of ours, older sister. We did like a, he had some martial arts guy. He wanted to do an action movie with. I played the bad guy and kind of like a diehard type thing. So we were always kind of grinding it out together. And then Safety Not Guaranteed came together. And our manager at the time, Greg Walter, was putting it together. And I knew Derek, the writer. And Aubrey Plaza was in. And just felt like, man, great. Let's go shoot a little movie up in Seattle. And, you know, when that blew up, I thought, wow, he gets to uh, ride the rocket ship now. Let's see him go. And, you know, he's done a great job. He's had a really nice career. All right. How about uh, this time travel ad? What have you got? Yeah, somebody emailed it in from the classifieds. He's looking for somebody to go back in time with him, do a little tongue-in-cheek investigation, find this guy, see if he thinks it's real or if it's a prank. Not bad. Now the guy says you'll get paid when you get back, bring your own weapons, safety's not guaranteed, and he's only done this once before. You know, see if maybe he believes in this stuff. I don't know, I think it could be funny. You wanna do it? All right, you got it. Can I get a couple of interns? Help me with I'll the do research, it. do some heavy lifting. Me, too, please. Me. All right, give me the lesbian and the Indian, and I got a story. Colin tells this really great story about um, how he changed the ending of the movie at the last minute um, after it was already accepted at Sundance. Yeah. I would love to hear, you know, what that was like from your perspective. What was the what was the original ending like? And then what was your reaction to finding out that you were going to go reshoot it? The original ending was uh, a sad sack ending where the guy doesn't make it. He's kind of a loser. And we shot a scene where Aubrey and I are kind of making, not making fun of him, but my character, who's kind of the uh, antagonist to that film, is kind of saying like, well, we got a great story. And then what I remember is she kind of runs off and goes, tries to see him or something. And so there was no reshooting. They'd more, he did it all in post, but um, but what was nice for me is he j- he called me up and he said, I just want to tell you before you go to Sundance, it's a different ending. And he explained <laughs> it. And even hearing it, I thought like, you know, honestly, when you're working with somebody, it's his movie, you know, it's his passion. So I wasn't in post-production with him. So I, I didn't have a thought either way. I thought like, great, let's see how it works. And then when I didn't really judge it good or bad until we were at the premiere. And when the uh, time travel machine works, we were in Eccles Theater at Sundance, which is like 1,500 people. The room erupted. And I thought like, hey, Colin, you were right. <laughs> you know, like the audience will tell you, you know, people will tell you very clear in this business if they like it or they don't. And you can't like spin it. A lot of people say like they do the bullshit. Like if someone doesn't like their work, they'll say like in time they will. Or, you know, I'm ahead of the audience and all that's bullshit. They just don't like it. Maybe they'll like it later or maybe not. You know, in the moment. Yeah. But like if you're in an audience and everybody cheers and they leave having fun, that thing you did worked. 
<laughs> I mean, he he basically credits changing the ending with giving him the career that he's had. I think that's right. Because I think if he didn't do that ending, it would have been a very good indie movie. But you wouldn't have thought this guy can do a dinosaur movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and you you went along for the dinosaur movie franchise as well with Jurassic World, and that kind of led to you becoming a bigger movie star in a way and doing these these bigger movies. Is that something that you saw for yourself that you wanted for yourself when you started out in this business to to be a, a quote unquote movie star? No, uh, I'm more intru- I like TV, and that's why I'm so excited about like streaming shows. I'm doing a TV show in fall that I'm kind of the most excited about. It's called Minx. It's on HBO Max. I like movies, uh, but the the kind of movies that I really love aren't necessarily like the big movies of 2021. The big movie star thing nowadays uh, nowadays isn't necessarily the thing that like fired me up when I was 17 and wanted to do this. But so my big excitement these days is television. Like Succession was the best thing that I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, totally. So the idea of doing something near Succession to be in a world like that feels way more excited than being in like a big multi-corporate studio tied with Burger King movie where everybody in the world sees it and it makes a quadrillion dollars and it's huge. Like, that's cool. I'm, I'm not knocking it and I'm definitely not knocking the actors or the creatives who do it. It's just that doesn't get me out of bed and I don't think like, man, I really hope to be in the next big tentpole thing. But when I, you know, I got the script for Minx, which was uh, the pilot, and I read it and I had had, you know, an IPA and I had taken a hit of weed before I read it. And I cried and I laughed and I felt <laughs> things and I imagined it. And I thought like, fuck, I want to be in that world. I want that show to get picked up. I want to see what that writer, the, the woman writing, it's Ellen Rappaport. And we've been talking a lot as she's running the writing writer's room. I want to see what she can do. You know, I want to I want to be in that pretty badly. So that's what's always deep down fired me up, and it's kind of firing me up more and more. What's the show about? What uh, what kind of character do you play? So it takes place in 1972. It's about the world of uh, magazine publishing, and it, the protagonist is a young woman named Joyce who is like a really fierce feminist, and she wants to write a feminist magazine about like the you know crumbling of the patriarchal society and she's really fired up and nobody wants to publish her magazine because they find it too angry and it's not what they think viewers want and then she meets my character named doug renetti and i'm a uh, magazine publisher but i do smut Uh, but i really like her work and i think there's a lot of money in women buying these magazines but i think she needs a little bit more smut in it because i think (laughs) you can have these great articles and the articles are really good but they're buying the magazine for the model in the middle. And so it's about that partnership between she and I in starting this magazine, how we view art and the magazine very differently, but we need each other in this moment of time. So it's about that conflict and that relationship. And Who's, who's the know, actor that you get to play against in that? Ophelia Leatherbond, who's a English actress who just crushed it. And, you know, honestly, I, yeah, I just... I read the pilot and I, I haven't had this before because I like to work with the same people over and over because I can trust them and I know who they are. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anybody and I just read it and met yeah. and thought it's like... A le- it's a leap of faith. They really, I mean, going back, it is. But I'm like, and with Ellen, I'm like, man, you, you wrote a killer pilot. Can you write a killer show? And she, you know, I think she can. Like she pitched me the whole season and I'm like, I think it sounds awesome. 
So I'm really hoping we hit go. I, I hope we hit magic, and I hope that shows one of those special ones because I can't wait to shoot it. Hence the long, ridiculous hair. Oh yeah, I'm not you got rocking your, your seventies hair. <laughs> yeah, nice, it's coming. Just for a minute, going back to some of the movies. Um, I know you you recently told uh, the story about uh, the mummy and how Tom Cruise kind of uh, it was his idea to get you in that movie. Is that is that true? Yeah, it was either he or Alex Kurtzman. But I got a really random call. Did I want to be in the Mummy franchise with Tom Cruise? And um, my first thought was, no, not a chance. Um, (laughs) Because doesn't sound like the kind of thing you're you're trying to do. But also, like you know, I'm not in terms of those big movies. I'm not against them. Like I love playing Lowry in Jurassic World. I loved being on that set. Like I thought it was so fun. The reason I was hesitant on the Mummy is Tom Cruise is an intimidating figure. Uh, and especially because I had to do action sequences with him. And I'm like, look, I'll do action sequences with an actor who likes stunt dope. <laughs> and so, but that's then I met him. with Tom, that's not him, but then I met with him. And I'm really glad I did it. Like going back to, you know, it's not necessarily my main goal, but I loved making that movie with him. Uh, it was so wild. And he still influences me to this day. Like I have a, in my garage is a gym based off his uh, gym that we worked out in together. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah, man. I was like, he is a very influential dude. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of stands out from the experience of actually acting with him in a, in an action scene, how deeply he commits and how much he loves it. And if you don't love it as much as him, you're, you're not at the party. So I would, while I was working with him, it was just all, you wake up early and you go to the gym before you shoot so that you're like ready to go. And it was just, I had never worked with somebody like that. He's not of my generation in terms of actors. I had come up with way more like improv people and everything was just so different. And so the amount of thought he gave and passion he gave, and he knew every lens on every camera and what it was supposed to do. And I thought like, ooh, this dude gets it. Let me think, just let me think. If anyone is listening, this is L-26, urgent, hot. Request dynamic precision strike at our mark. You did not just call it an airstrike. Oh, yes, I did. Where are you going? Don't leave me. There's nowhere to go. Oh, man, we're going to die. Please, Bill. Let me think. We're going to die because of you. Just let me think. What? I'm thinking. What are you thinking? I'm thinking we're probably going to die here. I knew it. Uh, I think the the degree to which he cares about acting and, and this business uh, really came out in that in that audio that that leaked at the beginning of the pandemic of him you know going That's off exactly. on everybody for yes. for not getting uh, for not taking COVID seriously did that right. did that I mean, he, uh, he, did that line up with your uh, <laughs> did that seem yes. right to you Yeah, he's an intense guy, and all he really wants to do is make a movie that really I mean all he wants to do in film I I, I can't not making statements of the man outside of it because i don't know him that well but in terms of a filmmaker he wants to entertain an audience and if you're not all about that you're going to get knocked off the bronco because he is there to entertain an audience and he's willing to really put himself in harm's way to do it did you did you feel like you were had to put yourself in harm's way to kind of keep up 
I did. We, you know, jumped over buildings together that exploded. <laughs> we were on a three-story building that collapsed and I landed on my back and told him that something went wrong because I got uh, hurt. And he said, injured or hurt? <laughs> and I said, what's the difference? And he goes, can you go again? Or is something broke? And I was like, no, I mean, I can go again. It, then he goes, so you're hurt. And he goes, of course you're hurt. You fell off a three-story building. And I thought like, oh, he doesn't, yeah. he's not faking it. He's, you know, when you see him on a horse and it gets, he gets thrown off and he tucks and rolls, his back is bruised. But like he loves <laughs> the shot when he's holding onto a side of a, the plane and it takes off. And that wind is hitting his face and it looks like it's ripping his skin open because it's ripping his skin open. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So the other movie that I wanted to touch on for a minute, uh, which is something that I think took you to an even another level, especially with younger viewers, is uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I, I imagine that you are getting recognized just from your voice uh, yeah, by, by a lot of uh, younger people, maybe in a way that you weren't before. Is that, is that a, an experience that you've had? Yeah. You know, that for me was, that was one of the best, uh, the best written pieces I've ever had. I would show up to record and I would read the pages and, you know, it was one of those things where I just felt really honored that they had, cho- they had picked me to do that. That wasn't one where I felt like I'm here to help find it. It was, it was there. I just had to deliver it. Um, and that was a really neat experience to, you know, see a monologue and go like, man, that's really touching. Who wrote this? <laughs> Who did this? This is really good. Um, and kind of surprising coming in that format in that film. This yeah, kind well, of superhero I knew, you know, world. With, the, with the directors involved, with Chris and with Phil, there was so much talent there. So a lot of times when you have that much talent, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I had really high expectations of it. And when I saw it, it just blew me away. I, I, I really love it. It's one of the, the things I'm most proud of. Yeah. Um, is it something that you're expecting to, to return to uh, playing that character? I sure hope so. I'd be pretty heartbroken if I didn't get to play Peter B. Parker again. Well, he's just, he's a character who um, I don't think his story's over. So, you know, I, I would like to know what happens to him. My name is Peter B. Parker. For the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You see, I saved the city, fell in love. I saved the city some more, maybe too much. Then like 15 years passed, blah, blah, blah. I buried Aunt May. My wife and I split up. But I handled it like a champion. Flash forward, I'm in my apartment doing push-ups, doing ab crunches, getting strong. When this weird thing happened, And I gotta say, weird things happen to me a lot. But this was real weird. So before we start to wrap up here, we end with the first laugh, which is our kind of speed round. And um, I want to start with, what's what's the first piece of comedy that really made you laugh as a kid, looking back, um, that, that you really connected with? Really early SNL in my house when I was a kid, um... SNL was allowed to be watched. So even when I was like three, the old Belushi group, the Ackroyd group, the early Bill Murray stuff, that stuff was really celebrated in my house. And very Chicago too. It was very Chicago. The second city, that influence, knowing that a lot of this talent came through Chicago and then had made it big. It just was a big deal growing up and, you know, 
those guys were all, you know, heroes. Do you remember going back to New Girl, the first time that you really felt like you knew who this character of Nick was? Was there a scene or a, a moment or something where you felt like you really, you really had him? Yeah, um, I don't remember the specific moment. I remember doing press for him at some point, describing him as kind of like the Charlie Brown of the show. <laughs> and when I saw him that way, he made more sense. I, I view Nick as the guy who's always a little bit kind of the sad sack where it never quite works, but he's connected to everybody. So viewing Nick like that made sense to me at the beginning. I didn't quite know his role in the show. I knew he would always be connected to Jess's character but I didn't see how we really fit until I kind of viewed him a little bit like uh, Charlie Brown. Um, and then finally, what's the last piece of comedy that really made you laugh? Something you want to shout out that you either, you know, saw on TV or a uh, uh, comedian or something that really, that really made you laugh. Totally. You know, I saw the other night, there was a show on YouTube called a show about a show or the show about the show, which is this uh, filmmaker in New York who makes a super meta show about making of a show and his family. It gets pretty dark and insane because the characters in his life don't want to be in the show anymore. But uh, Joe Swanberg is, Swanberg is actually in it for a second. But I ended up watching that and I got beyond hooked. So I've watched every episode of that show. But the whole idea is he's making a show about his life and his marriage and his family and how hard it is to make a show. And all the characters in his life are in the show. <laughs> but it goes really sideways and it gets really weird. But it was a very watchable uh two days for me in the last couple of nights. Nice. Well, uh, that's it. We, we did it. Thank awesome, you man. so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast, but yeah, good luck. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, uh, HBO max show. Sounds cool. I think it's going to be a great one, man. I hope so. Have a good one. All right, man. Great talking about it. Okay. That is it for our show this week. Thank you again to Jake Johnson. You can check out his new film, Ride the Eagle, in theaters, on demand, or on any of the digital platforms where you can rent streaming movies. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.